Hello and welcome to Greenlit with me, the voice which belongs to Toby Earle. Each week on Greenlit, a guest receives the thrilling news their life is to be made into a biopic and we discuss how that story will be told. Will they star? Which moments won't make it into the adaptation? And will Godzilla make an appearance? In this episode, comedian, actor and writer Ahir Shah will plot the course of this certain blockbuster. Shah is an have I got news for you-er, alive at the Apollo-er, a MASH reporter-er, a Frankie Boyle's New World Order-er, a Hello America-er, and his stand-up show has recently been recorded for an HBO Max special. He'll be touring later in the year with a new show, more details at ahirshah.com, and he's a splendid parachutist. Ahir Shah, welcome to Greenlit. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time to mention my parachute career. Uh, I feel as though that's an element that often gets glossed over. Does that frustrate you, given all those years earning your wings? <laughs> it really does, you know. And the fact that everyone wants to think about Ahir Shah the comedian or everything, and no one focuses on Ahir the Falcon Shah does... Uh, <laughs> does irk me somewhat, to be honest with you. And does it great as well that Anthony Mackie got that role ahead of you as the Falcon, despite all your years of parachute training? Uh, No, because that series was terribly written. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ahishar, welcome to Greenlit. The first big question... Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. But the first big question, and it's a big one out here, is it pronounced biopic or biopic? I would say biopic. You don't say like biography or biography, right? Like, is that is that? Ooh, I, I think a... that makes sense. Yeah, I can see the. It's about the intonation, isn't it? I, w- I would also say that anyone, anyone who suggests that you go to watch a film and is concerned as to whether or not you pronounce it biopic or biopic is exactly the sort of person you shouldn't be spending an evening at the cinema with. <laughs> or, or maybe maybe the cinema's the only place that you should be hanging out with them because you don't have to talk uh, for two hours. <laughs> instead, instead of a really desperately boring meal where you discuss the relative merits of how you pronounce a word, you can sit in silence and not ever have to broach that subject. Exactly, and it avoids causing any controversy or indeed controversy. <laughs> Nicely spun. Really nicely spun there, because now because now there are going to be people who are pro biopic that are now going to be thinking about how to pronounce controversy. They're completely lost. Well, I mean, I thought that a great you know situation that we find ourselves in as a globe. One hopes that it will uh, bring the human race at least slightly more together, and realizing <laughs> that you know we're all we're all have shared vulnerabilities and shared need for each other to be able to get better because no one's safe till everyone's safe. Uh, and so once that's achieved, it's going to be this sort of tedious pedantry that creates <laughs> the new line of friction in our species and. It's uh, we've had, you know, the 30 years war, the 100 years war, and we're now going to have the the biopic controversy. <laughs> that seems like a very appropriately British schism for us to get involved <laughs> in. So let's, uh, let's do that. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. Your biopic's going to be made. Where, though, mm. would you have the initial meeting with these executives to discuss how this film's going to be made, the content of the film, the angle of the film, how you want this film to be made. Are you going to go to their offices? 
Do you want them to take you out for a swanky lunch somewhere in a posh restaurant, LA perhaps, or somewhere in the US? Where would you like yeah, to have this will, meeting? The meeting will take place anywhere other than Zoom. Uh, I have uh, <laughs> had, I've I've had a lifetime's worth of Zooms uh, over the course of the last year, and I'm pretty sure that I'm nowhere near the end of it. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, actual in-person meeting, not in Los Angeles. I've never been to Los Angeles. I just get the vibe that I wouldn't like it. It's a place where famously you've got it. Everyone has to drive everywhere. I don't yeah. drive. I don't like the idea of driving. One of my favorite things of visiting different places is always experiencing the uh, very, very boring, but I enjoy experiencing the different public transport systems of oh. associate, uh, assorted metropolises. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that feels like something that I wouldn't be able to do. And so, yeah, not not L.A. We'll stay we'll stay in London. But I think that I want it to be like I had I had a meeting sort of in early 2020 about the filming of my stand up special, which was supposed to happen on uh, March 31st, 2020 and instead happened in uh, June this year. But they, they asked me to meet them at uh, the Rosewood Hotel uh, yes. just by Hoban Station. And I realized that I must have, in my life, walked past that building several hundred times. I've, you know, I've Londoner born and bred, I've been here the whole time, and just not clocked that it existed because it's almost like this field of vision, like only allows <laughs> me to see stuff I can afford. Uh, and it's like, my brain's like, oh, well, it'll just upset him if he knows that that's there because he'll think it's quite nice, but he'll never be able to go. Um, so that's, that's, I think, where the meeting would have to be. I want that similar sort of lifting of the veil, realizing <laughs> that one can go through platform nine and three quarters or whatever. I want the meeting to be in London in a place so fancy I don't currently know it exists. <laughs> I love the idea that there is this this financial sort of field of vision that, that you have, that everyone has. It's like, they'll be like, oh, no, I hear, just come and meet me in the Golden Submarine. It's like, what? What do you mean there's a Golden Submarine? It's like, no, no, it's like, you see it. It's like, it's not fully submerged. It's above the water and everything. And you see it it's just by Tower Bridge, the Golden Submarine. Have you not... Noticed it? I mean, it's a thousand pounds to get into the Golden Submarine, but because the thing about the Rosewood, if I remember, because I haven't, I've, I've been there several times for for work reasons. A lot of press junkets take place there. A lot of films, for example, have junkets there. Well, it makes this an even more appropriate choice. Although we're not choosing the Rosewood, we're choosing somewhere oh. like that. Like because I know that the Rosewood exists now, so <laughs> it can't be that. But it's got to be so something like that, something that was outside of my, let's call it the the, the financial blinkers that I have on uh, in my life to save me. Uh, from, <laughs> like, it's like it's like I don't know what's at the bottom of a wine list. I'm never getting it. So like, what, what's the virtue in knowing? There are places, no doubt, that probably when you go in. They maybe look at you or they do a credit check and they give you a shortened menu. Like the like the, the wine <laughs> list is like three lines long. Other people get 10. Yeah. You might get three or, or, you know, whoever gets four lines. It's like somehow they know. <laughs> yeah, it's just a uh, size you up and down when you walk in and go, come on, though. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> come on. Well, Ahir Shah, exciting news. Your life has mm. been greenlit for a biopic. But how would your right. life be told by Hollywood or Bollywood or Nollywood? And what sort of creative control would you exercise in bringing the greatest story you know to the big screen? 
What's the film called, Ahir Shah? What is the Ahir Shah biopic? It's difficult for me because, like, not a lot of people know this about me, but a part of my life actually has already been made into a biopic. Back in 2018, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there's a film called The Meg, and <laughs> that's that's about this summer I had uh, one time <laughs> where I ended up uh, fighting a prehistoric shark. And it was a very uh, big thing, but I, di- I didn't want to talk about it personally. <laughs> uh, I found the whole experience. I was like, well, I want to put that behind me because loads of my friends got bit. And so I think that even at the time, things are changing very rapidly, but they didn't necessarily <laughs> feel comfortable not having like an established action hero. So Jason, St- <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that Jason Statham in specifically The Meg uh, is me. So... <laughs> Really, what we're talking about is the second film about my life. Right. Uh, as Shakespeare said, you know, we have our entrances and exits and we play many parts. Sometimes I'm the comedian. Sometimes I'm the guy who fought the Meg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, when he did fight a giant prehistoric shark, what were you doing? Were you, were you, were you a season air somewhere? Were you a research scientist? What was, what was the story? Were you, were, you know, were you on an exchange trip? What was, what, what? Oh, no, I was, I was on the catamaran from Portsmouth to the Isle of Wight. It's, uh, <laughs> it actually, like a few elements of it did get sexed up a bit. For me, the most stressful element was when I thought that we'd defeated the Meg only to discover that there was a second larger the Meg. Oh, um, gosh. I was like, oh, no, that's not the sort of thing that happens. That's the sort of thing that happens in Hollywood films and stuff. It doesn't happen in real it life. Is. But then, you know, that, then it got made, you know, and it... Um... it yeah, it did. Um, how long did it kind of take you to come to terms with that entire incident? Well, I think, to be honest, I think I'm not I, I'm not ever fully going to get over it, you know. <laughs> and I, uh, But I, I respect the, you know, the privacy that was afforded me by the media at the time uh, because they were like, we don't want to splash this over the front. He doesn't even want to hear the word splash. Uh, no, this day, right? He's uh, he's he's very overwhelmed. Uh, so they they gave me that space, and I appreciated that. Yeah, no, I mean, I just said, look, this is what happened. I appreciate that uh, the Isle of Wight probably isn't an uh, ideal location if you're trying to capture a large portion of the Chinese market. <laughs> uh, so they transferred a lot of it uh, over to East Asia. Um, that made sense. Yep. Um, and then Statham, I've always appreciated his work. I considered it an honor uh, yeah. in many ways. And obviously they weren't able to cast an actual The Meg as The Meg <laughs> because I killed the only Meg. Yeah. And so that that bit was CGI, but there was nothing we could really do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just before we move on, sorry, just I've, I've forgotten. How did you kill The Meg? Yeah. So that's a really good question. I had a device... An yes. implement, yes, a very sharp implement, yes, uh, and I used that to wound the Meg, yeah, uh, right. Like initially, uh, people wanted to do it, and like you know, there was the whole military getting involved and everything yeah. like that. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 this is fundamentally a battle between man and fish, and <laughs> we cannot bring the like. People wanted to use trident and stuff. It was really weird. What happened was I fatally wounded the beast and attracted by the spilled blood, several smaller sharks approached and devoured the dying Meg. Uh, yeah. At which point I rejoined the Mana One crew and considered taking a vacation with Sun Yin and Maying. Uh, <laughs> and, uh... I was it. I'd forgotten. I'd forgot. Thank you. I, for- I just, it yeah. slipped my mind. And um, I just, it was, like, was it like a sharpened stick of rock? 
from the pier that you used. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It was it was that combined with the almost spiritual force of the Isle of Wight's hostility towards outsiders. Uh, <laughs> that and, uh, and the Meg was seen to be the ultimate outsider. That's it. I've, I now, yeah, now you mention it. That's it. I remember now. I remember now. In that case, what <laughs> what is the second film of your life going to be then? Yes. So I think that just for publicity reasons, we're going to have to call it The Meg 2. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I would still be played by Jason Statham. Wow. Um, he's up for a sequel. Good chap is Jason. He's a very hard worker. Most people would have only made one transporter film, not him. He was like, I'm not stopping until the tale is told. Right? <laughs> it's none of this Daniel Craig, oh, I'll, I'll never do James Bond again. Like, Statham's a long-haul man. He did two cranks. He did at least two crank films. Yeah, I know. It's like, look, there was Crank and then Crank 2 High Voltage, as though anyone was being like, oh, do you know what the problem with the first Crank was? Insufficiently high voltage. Uh, <laughs> I felt like Crank was a very sedate viewing experience. And so uh, I'd love this with a bit of razzmatazz. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's going to be called uh, Meg 2 The Trench. Um, wow. And starring Jason Statham as me. Wow. But I think that this will be more telling the story which I told in the stand-up show that I did the same year as my film The Meg came out, 2018, <laughs> which was the story of my grandmother and her raising me in the UK before her being deported when I was five and me travelling to India and seeing her at the end of her life when I was 27, uh, or 26 I would have been. But crucially... Statham plays me at every life stage. Uh, <laughs> so we've got my my grandmother would be played in the flashbacks like a 60-year-old Indian woman, and then we'll use CGI and make her look like she's in her mid-80s uh, right. towards the end. I am in the first part between the ages of naught and five, and in the second part, I am in my mid-20s. I am always Statham. <laughs> Never. I'm, I'm Statham in a little Power Rangers outfit, a little bubba. I'm Statham with a little bonnet. <laughs> in a pram. In a pram. Statham's going to have to learn Gujarati, but he's, he's up for it. <laughs> can, I, can I ask, are you, are you a fan of using CGI in these circumstances? So, like, it would be a real green screen face onto a child's face. So it's Statham's face on a baby. Or is Statham going practical is he's just is he sitting in a pram wearing a bonnet and every, and all the props yeah. are oversized so it makes him look smaller yes yes it's exactly that uh, <laughs> thank you for respecting my creative vision i think you'll notice that uh, like you're asking about cgi and like motion cap stuff if i wanted andy circus i'd have said andy circus all right <laughs> so <laughs> god i'm imagining circus as my grandmother <laughs> <It's very sad. laughs> um, what, what would that be like what? andy circus is your, is your I, d I don't even want to think about it it'll upset me too much but <laughs> it's uh but no everyone else sort of a normal situation um <laughs> but how old's jason let's uh let's uh, let's look this up uh, i think it'll be so, surprising yeah bloody hell wowee statham's 53 years old he is looking Absolutely. He is four years younger than Nigel Farage. Yeah. And how many crank films has Nigel Farage? <laughs> Actually, now I think about it, quite a few. I think about <laughs> it. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, well now he uh, now he just makes odious videos where he's out at the coast, sort of vaguely pointing at boats. Yeah. It's literally right where I fought the Meg. Fifty-three-year-old Statham playing yeah, you as a is baby. Is going to be me between the ages of naught and five, and between uh, and and at the age of twenty-six. Um, I don't know. I, I guess because there'll have to be situations in which he's being carried, yes. like a baby. And yes. obviously, Statham's a pretty built guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm. I, I certainly couldn't pick him up. So <laughs> what we're gonna need is for like just you know when it like cuts away and they've got like oh there's a double uh like a stunt double or what have yes. you it's a stunt double it's a thing that exists i don't know why i acted like i'm making up <laughs> stunt double. but so in order to be able to show statham being cradled like a baby <laughs> my father mother and grandmother will have stunt arms from the rock <laughs> so Occasionally, you and I think that that visually will make sense for Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> to be cuddling a baby me, who is Jason Statham. Your parents will have ripped arms lifted from the rock, so they'll look unbelievably yeah. hench. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, it's a uh, is a similar skin color uh, and everything, so that that'll work. And if if we just put them in long sleeve tops the entire time, uh, <laughs> then who's who's to say? This is a vi visually visually this is a really rich experience already. I think it is it's it's uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where there's that baby in the cartoon who is actually like a fifty year old cigar smoking man, but he plays the baby. <laughs> It's that, it kind of has yeah. that feeling. Yeah, although Statham won't be smoking as the baby. He, <laughs> he will be smoking when he's adult me. Uh, but Smoking hot. <laughs> <I should. laughs> uh, but yes, no, we, we won't have any sort of, we can't make smoking seem appealing to children. Uh, and, you know, you, you see Jason Statham in a pram sparking <laughs> up a cigarette. Let's say there's a young couple, they're on date night, they've just had their first baby, it's the first time they've left a baby with a sitter. They go to this film and they say, oh my God, that baby Ahir Shah, played by Jason Statham, is smoking and looking so cool in the pram. <laughs> and then they go back home and make their baby smoke in order to look like, is that what you want? Is you that, because, no, exactly. No. Don't want that. I think I think it's a good I think generally it's probably a very basic aim to not encourage babies to smoke. To not to not yes. become addicted to nicotine. Yeah, and I think it would just seem like willfully subversive. Like you hear about some crazed horror director being like, Oh, I'm making this thing, and it's like, oh yeah, go you. Well done. Like it's <laughs> Come on, you're you're just doing this to show that. Oh, look what I could. Uh, and it's like, what is there? Is there? Yeah, it's fine. Make it whatever you want. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it, and there doesn't seem like there's any merit in it. But you know, we'd have meetings with directors for this film, and someone would be like, "What if I made the baby smoke?" And you'd be like, "Oh, come on! Man. <laughs> like, it's, uh, what are you trying to say with that?" That's the sort of edgy for the sake of edgy thing yes. that we're going to stay away from. Yes, because to be honest. As the only living man to have successfully defeated a megalodon in single combat, <laughs> I've experienced enough edge for a lifetime. And fair enough. Mm. So 
The Meg 2, The Trench, it is a sequel of sorts. Given that people know so much about your earlier life when you fought the Meg, yeah. and they think they might know you, what's the opening scene mm-hmm. going to be? Are you going to try and tip up those perceptions? I think that the opening scene is sort of a supercut of the effects from the Meg, the first film, <laughs> and over the top of it, me, from now on, when I say me, often I am going to mean Jason. Right, uh, yeah. Right, so over the top of that, uh, I'm Ahir Shah, and you might think that you know me from this film that was made about me, but yeah. I've I've actually got other stuff going on too. <laughs> um, and then it smash cuts to Jason as me uh, weeping next to my grandmother's dying body. Wow. Uh, and it's it's heavy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is that's heavy. The reason I have come up with this tremendous conceit uh, <laughs> is that I, I, I feel as though uh, the only well, there are relatively few stories from my life that I would do, really want to uh, tell. I, I have a fairly normal life beyond the fact that I've got a bit of a strange job. The one element that um, did always seem like a story that I really wanted to tell, which is why I did uh, Duffer, the stand-up show about it in 2018, was this experience of loving someone and being raised in large part by them and losing them, then the sense of uh, that that sense of absence uh, being quite acutely felt throughout a life and then sort of the second loss, which happened as a result of her dementia and her, her losing herself in that way before her death. But I thought, given I was going to go on a comedy podcast, I would, while mentioning that, also talk about 2018 science fiction thriller, The Meg. <laughs> and that might make the overarching thing a bit more palatable to the listener and yeah i get it i get it and we will we will come back to this story i just wonder with an opening scene like that where you think you're going to watch something and then actually something else comes along um have you had that no i've 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 revisited i've I've changed my mind as to what the opening will be (laughs) Um, so the opening is going to be It'll be less sort of harsh than that. So the way that we're going to open is by licensing the title sequence from the first Deadpool film. Yes. Uh, And we just have that because people will be like, oh, wait, hold on. What's what's going on? Can you check the ticket? I thought this was (laughs) the Meg 2, but it seems like it's actually Deadpool. And then we've created in their mind the fact of expect the unexpected wow. you know i bet a lot of people who liked the meg and wanted to see the meg too liked deadpool so they're not yeah. gonna be upset but then we go into the the practicalities of the lives and relationships of my family i mean it's it's a it's an audacious genre mashup can you remember the last time you went to see a film be it at home or the pictures and you started watching it and then within about five minutes, it had shifted so radically in what you thought it was. You were like, kind of, what? Am I, is this right? Am I in the right place? Am I, do I want to watch this? I can remember exactly when that was, because it was in uh, the first part of 2020, 
when my girlfriend and I went to the cinema to watch Parasite. Um, oh and we went in to watch it and both screens at the cinema were screening Parasite and we had been directed to the wrong screen, but we were <laughs> running slightly late. So we fully expected that, you know, all right, the first, maybe we've missed the first minute of the thing, depending on how long the trailers were going on, right? So we sit down and we're watching the scene where all of the family are in the living room of this empty house and everything. And uh, for, for the first couple of minutes, you're like, oh, this has opened pretty interesting. I, I wouldn't have necessarily expected that. But then, you know, hey, I've only seen a couple of Korean films. Maybe this is a thing that's quite common in Korean cinema uh, or... Maybe this is why it's so louded that it's opening so in media res. <laughs> and within about three minutes, I'd say, we clocked that we were fundamentally in the wrong screen. Uh, and then went to the other one. And when we got back to the living room scene, it was just like nudging each other, being like, that's what, that's what we were. We <laughs> uh, is... the other, uh, another similar experience that I can think of is when I watched as a teenager, The Godfather Part Two with my father. And there were, you know, the sequences in Italy and everything, but they're coming over from Italy to the United States. And I thought that there was this really clever thing where in order to express the sort of alienating feeling of being a first-generation immigrant in this country and so all of the dialogue being done in Italian and it's like oh I don't understand but it's like they don't understand so much of what's going on around them and is Coppola try trying to put me in their position and then it became very apparent that we'd forgotten to turn we've turned the subtitles completely off uh and <laughs> that uh, that segment was indeed supposed to be uh, subtitled in English but it worked quite well that's so what an immersive experience oh it's lovely like blessed my dad had seen it but he's seen it several times before and this was the first time that i was seeing it and he just didn't bring it up at all <laughs> <laughs> and he's like yeah well i knew what was happening <laughs> like, is you know i don't speak italian <laughs> is your dad's italian that good now he's watched it that many times he can just sit there and watch the whole <laughs> yeah. thing in italian <laughs> yes exactly that would be quite a dad thing to do, wouldn't it? That'd be quite a dad thing to do is to watch The Godfather Part 2 so many times in Italian. You just know it. <laughs> yeah, that you know a very specific amount of Italian <laughs> that can admittedly help, probably help you in very sticky situations, <laughs> but not when you're trying to find directions to <laughs> anywhere else. So we've got the opening to the Meg, to the Trench. We know that Statham is the lead throughout because of his versatility. You know, he, he mirrors you in so many ways, which I think we've yeah. discussed. He's probably slightly better swimmer than you, but we'll, we can overlook that for the aquatic scenes. We could ask him to play bad swimmer. You know, it would be much easier for an actor to act worse at something than they are than to act better at it, you know? Like, if I, if I told a virtuosic piano player to play very bad piano, they'd probably find it quite difficult because instinctively they would want to play things uh, yeah. well because that's the way that they're just the muscle memory in their hands. Yeah. But if I asked someone who'd never seen a piano before in their life, bust me out some Rachmaninoff, they're not going to know what's going on. So that's why, if anything, the fact that Statham was professional diver yep. uh, in, his, in his youth 
um, makes him the best possible person to play a shit swimmer. <laughs> Could I, 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 what I, what I'm already looking forward to in this film, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to, but just seeing Jason Statham do the doggy paddle in the water, <laughs> head just slightly above the water, trying to swim, that would be yeah. such a moment. Such a moment. <laughs> so we know it's, it's Statham um, playing you across the ages. Um, but what and the genre? rock's arms. Yes, of course. And it, babe, you know, being cradled by your parents with prosthetic rock arms. But what genre would the Meg to the Trench be? And what kind of budget would we be looking at to bring this to the screen? Well, I think that our major expense is going to be the rock's arms. Uh, <laughs> because Statham... Bless him, like he, you know, he's not, Statham's not a man who's rooting around the back of the sofa trying to see if there are any uh, spare change there. Statham is a very successful, uh, yep. financially successful man uh, yep. and commands commands a strong fee. But Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the highest paid actor on the planet. Yeah. And if you think that, what, like, so just his arms, yes. that's like, what, like 20% of him or something. I mean, it's a substantial right, maybe a bit amount. less. Yeah. yeah, but then he's big everywhere, isn't he? So he it's is not big like, everywhere. Yeah, so uh, two arms, two legs, torso, head. All right, that's two arms, two legs, torso. That's six things. Yeah. So we're paying for just the just the two arms. So yeah, yeah a, a fraction, a fraction, so um, a third of what we could be uh, spending. Yeah. But I would think that a third of his fee which yes. he'd take because he's a reasonable man. And I think he and uh, Jason Statham have worked together before. Uh, uh, you'd yes. imagine so. I don't know for a fact, but you'd imagine so. Have they not done an Expendables or something? Or that, didn't they do, no, they did Hobson Shaw, didn't they? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, because they, yeah, so they've, they've definitely done things before. Yes. Um, so there's, a, in fact, The Rock would probably take a bit of a, bit of a lower fee because he's like, oh great, I get to hang out with my pal. So, I think that we're going to have to be budgeting about the same for Jason as we are just for the rock's arms. Just um, <laughs> So that's probably a few million. Yeah. There. Maybe what, what would you reckon for that? Five million? Ten million? I mean, for, oh, if you're, you're right, it's got, to be, it's got to be something in that kind of region. And just to clarify here, I'm just going to get this right. He, he is going to be the arms like of your parents holding the young Jason Statham, right? That's, yeah. that's the kind of deal. Please tell me the intention is for him to be stood behind your parents, like, but like behind with a coat and his arms like <laughs> pushed to help the side of their body. So it's like he's yes, actually behind them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the rocks has got like a bucket on his head or something. <laughs> but it needs to be as shonky as possible. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so the, right, film, yeah. the film fundamentally genre wise yeah. is quite a serious drama covering quite a serious topic you know yeah. it's talking about sort of family loss uh the mm. history of immigration into this country and the nature of uh post-imperial post-colonial world and everything but the way that i've always liked doing things the reason that i like stand-up so much is that you can talk about whatever you want. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's a heavy topic or a hard topic, as long as you're going about it the right way. And as long yeah. as you're puncturing it with the laughter and creating those little pockets of levity, you can yeah. do quite interesting things, uh, yeah. right? So I think that with that, given that's the only way I know how to make anything, we would be trying to achieve the same effect 
effect, as it were, yeah. by doing quite a serious film about childhood loss, etc. Yeah. But the twist is that it's always Statham, and he's often being cradled by The Rock wearing a, even for him massive coat and a bucket <laughs> on his head. And this is what allows us to explore those difficulties, you know? This is, this is a rev- I think this is revolutionary. And you talk there about the, uh, and if, if I might say so, epic sweep of personal and what geopolitical history it would be covering. Mm. I, I suppose um, you meant, you, you know, which the, the question is, which parts of your life would definitely have to be in there and why? Now, you've mentioned about your grandmother raising you and then being deported. Yes. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because that to me sounds horrendous. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, basically, um, it was so she came to this country uh, very shortly after I was born, having been suddenly widowed in India. And so would have been on her own there to live with my dad, her son, and my mother and my sister. And we'd all sort of be able to be together and look after one another. It it was brilliant for the first few years and, you know, like uh, parents working and everything. And she was, because I was a literal baby at that time, that was just one of my strongest sort of maternal bonds uh it's not not as though my mother wasn't around or anything like that uh but she was like a third parent then owing to some changes in immigration policy brought about by the major government in the early 90s her status in this country was seen as no longer viable because uh, she had another son living in india and they were like well just go with him and he'll look after you but I mean, they were alienated and it was very, very clear that he would not support her in any way. Wow. Um, but she she had to go. Sort of it was what it was. And she ended up living with uh, one of my father's sisters. And, they, you know, she was like to, to those children. She fulfilled that role that she had been fulfilling for me. But uh, yeah. I, they benefited from so at least you know someone definitely got the benefit of this uh, wonderful woman but it's it's because of that particular point of the loss as well and it not being a death but just this sort of taking right yep. uh from from a child and i never had the position with her where it's like oh, I'm a moody teenager and our relationship is in some way strained or like, oh, I don't really want to make the call and play my PlayStation or what have you. Yeah. It was all that that purity of childhood relationship was able to be fully maintained despite this person not being physically present because they were still alive. And so going up, we didn't have uh, all of the money in the world. So going to India was a very rare uh, treat, uh, mm. as it were. The last time that uh, I was with her was towards the end of 2017, when her condition had got very, very bad. And it was clear that that would be the last time. And sort of that shift in power from the previous vitality of this person who swept you up in their arms, which were the equivalent at that time to being Jason Statham swept <laughs> up in the rocks, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, yeah. And who was that soul or that person who could do things for you when you were entirely helpless to then be in a position of seeing them in that helplessness in a manner that felt as though your life had just suddenly fast forwarded through all of this stuff. And her 
very clearly um, not wanting to live and me not being able to meet that request uh, because and feeling weak due to my inability to meet that request um, was uh, a pretty like that was that was a pretty definitional thing in in my life uh, and a story that I have told and uh, told on stage many times and I hope to be able to eventually get that show filmed and made and out there that so yeah just this story that feels like a bit of a eulogy for this person I love who still over the course of this last year I found myself on some evenings just being like oh this was a person who could always even in silence make everything better and we live in a world where we're all so in need of that sort of thing from a person right yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm fortunate that my parents are wonderful and they're both around and everything, but obviously there was periods where I couldn't see them. And and I would still sort of find myself crying for her, her absence because this was just a person who could sort of immediately untangle the mess of the world uh, just by sitting next to her. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. But I'm- also... I'm always Jason Statham. <laughs> I, understand, I understand the depth of that relationship. I, 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 I understand that. And, oh man, that is, that's a harrowing story. And, and, you know, and to tie, and then, so that was the idea would to be to tie that into essentially, like I said, a, an epic geopolitical sort of view of, view of uh, colonialism, immigration, British history, Indian history. Is that, yeah. is that, is that the, is kind of the, the, the way it would be placed within that? Yeah, because I think that the story felt like a sort of lot of things in microcosm, uh, right? And particularly bear in mind that this was happening not long after all of the stuff about the Windrush scandal uh, had come out. And you're like, oh, it's still it's yeah. still going on. And yeah. uh, in some ways, in even worse ways, and people with even less recourse uh, than my family had. And so it's like, oh, this this constant thing that got its background in some really thorny history to say the least yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and now we find ourselves still sort of at the at the receiving end of certain things uh even when it feels very unjust because and uh, yeah I, I just think that that's a that's an interesting story but i don't know how to make films so i won't <laughs> and so those are the moments key moments that you want in the film which moments from your life would you want on the cutting room floor? What wouldn't make it into the Meg 2, the trench? <laughs> so we've just, we've been having this quite sincere and like nice conversation for sufficiently long, but I just forgot and it was called the Meg 2, the trench. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, right, yeah. It was that ridiculous thing I did to try and put off the difficult part until later. <laughs> Well, I mean, what's what's left on the cutting room floor? I mean, in in any story of every life, it's the, the vast majority of it is left on the cutting room floor, <laughs> right? Like in in the stories that we tell of others and the stories that we tell of ourselves, um, it, it's more like finding the the stranger parts that I want to bring in because I think that while the practical effects of what like the the specific events and everything is the obvious stuff that you'd want to put in but i don't know that you can tell stories like these without having like some view of history uh as well so i don't mean like having to go as far back as and in the middle we're gonna do a full like 
Peter Jackson pitched <laughs> battle, uh, like and do like show everyone Plassey uh, and uh, Robert Clive ca- having kept his powder dry overnight in the way that uh, <laughs> Muggles failed to do. While that would be a very fun thing to, well, it wouldn't be fun because my team lost, but uh, it, would be, <laughs> it would be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, it wouldn't really have a place here, but certainly. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Uh, I know that so, uh, this is an alternate history, but I'm watching. Have you watched For All Mankind? I haven't watched that, but I, the second series has just been released recently, hasn't it? Yeah. This is the Soviets landing on the moon. This is the Soviets winning the space race. Is that right? Yes. Or rather, the Soviets landing the first man on the moon and consequently the space race not ending. Oh. And so, like, you know, whenever you're trying to, and it's particularly in alternate history stuff where you do those like supercut things just to bring everyone up to speed yeah, of yeah, like yeah. and this is how it diverges from this yeah. and a part of me is always like is that a bit of a naff way to do storytelling a larger part of me is like how the hell else would you do it <laughs> yeah. uh, right maybe it'd have to be something like that like we'd get across the history through news clippings and things yes. obviously not, this isn't alternative history this is a, uh, the real deal yeah. um but yeah it's it it is you know there's that um I, I I'm in nowhere am I drawing comparisons here but you, you know you, you, there's that sequence isn't there in Notting Hill where Hugh Grant walks through Portobello Road Market and it With changes seasons. seasons as he walks along mm. which is I think quite a nice way to 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 show the passing of time in a kind of quite simple way we could you, you could use a yeah. device like that as opposed to the kind of the supercut of Reagan's elected for his fifth term and now every American is given a gun at birth or you know that you know, <laughs> kind of you know, they're kind of those kind of wild things that you see in those those films that happen sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's how we'll do it. Okay, so we'll also need Hugh Grant for this uh, one specific uh, thing. Um, oh! So we got Hugh Grant at the beginning as like a young man, and he's taking off his coat, and it's saying Commonwealth Immigrants Act 1964 passed, uh, and, and then he goes through, and all like major legislation yes. is just in the background of it. Yeah. Hugh Grant. And so we've discussed a few already, but what other influences on this film might there be from other films or from TV or literature or comics or theatre? Is there, is there anything else that you wanted to be in there apart from, of course, the overarching career of Jason Statham and British and Indian history? Yeah. So personally in my life, cars haven't exploded, <laughs> but Jason would probably request that a car explode so maybe that part actually in terms of the what gets left on the cutting room floor we'll do some explosions and fights like we'll shoot them to keep (laughs) jason happy but those will just you know and he could maybe use them in a different project the choreography would still be useful for him or something um so i read very recently it does i'm not a not a big comic book guy but i read uh march which is a three volume comic book series about the life and career of uh the late congressman john lewis in Ooh, the united oh, states yeah uh a sort of famed civil rights leader and is obviously a far better and more consequential person in every single way than I will ever be. So that's not, uh, but I, uh, the, the only reason I bring it up is that the stylistic, uh, I thought that that dealt with time jumps very nicely. Right. Um, like it never, it never felt forced um, the way that we'd go from the present day to back then when very often it can, and you just yeah. end up going, oh yeah, okay, I guess we're here now. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Whereas that was, I think through a combination of the art and the writing always dealt with in quite a nice way. 
So that that would be a good one. I that think that would be in there. I think uh, t- time jumps are very hard to do well. I know we kind of discussed them already, but I think time jumps are very hard to do well because sometimes they do. People use a different color scheme, don't they? Sometimes for the flashbacks, they're slightly yeah. like old. They're like kind of like Polaroid, sort of saturated Polaroid color sometimes in order to kind of. Oh yeah, and oh, it's the old days. That's the thing, and it, it just leads to like. I find it so difficult to believe that my parents met in the same kind of HD that I experienced the world in. <laughs> it's like they were both as like visceral and real as uh, you. Know, it was like, but in all the photos, they're like they're all grainy and stuff. Like it's like no, the past wasn't physically grainy. <laughs> That's what photographs looked like at the time. It's like, what do you mean my grandparents weren't just in black and white the whole time? That's <laughs> it's absurd. So true. And I think that that's probably why. Like, I think that's why there's a certain, whenever you see sort of colorized historical photographs of soldiers yes. and things like that. And it's actually, it's, it's quite, well, I certainly find it quite viscerally distressing yeah. because it's the realization, like, the technology puts this artificial distance between us and that time. And then, you know, you see something colorized from the First World War and you're like, oh, these are just boys like yeah. you see on the street every day who are yeah. just as human as me and everyone I've ever met and are about to die for nothing. Have you have you, have you seen that Peter Jackson film where he used the colorized footage of of the World War 1 soldiers? I sort of intentionally haven't watched it because I know that I will have very strong emotional reactions to it, it is. and I don't like, like you know you've always got to be it, with with things like that, you've got to be right. I'm now in the frame of mind where I feel like I could handle this. It is harrowing. It is. It is. It is. It is. And I think disturbing. I think you said disturbing. It is because of you know it suddenly looked real, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. And some of the footage of some of the explosions are just is just extraordinary. Um, now, I think it, it's critic proof. The Meg to the trench. You know, it sounds with everything in it. It sounds critic proof. But if the critics love it or hate it. Yeah. How would that affect you on your next project? Would criticism affect you in the next project? Well, I think that I've got a slightly easy ride in this because if, for example, let's look at the original The Meg. Now, The Meg, it did well uh, yeah. and everything, but not exceedingly well. It's 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, average of 5.31 out of 10. Is that um, all? Yeah, and you know, it was it was actually nominated for a, a Golden Raspberry Award, the the anti Oscar scandal. Um, as they said, it was uh, nominated as worst prequel, remake, rip off, or sequel because it was <laughs> they said that it was a rip off of Jaws. But you know, it's not the worst critical response in the world, but it's not the best. Uh, but the people who liked it liked it, and that's fine. Um, but no one knows that was about me. So it's fine. <laughs> and if if anyone like. Oh, I saw this really embarrassing film called The Meg. I'll just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to act like I know anything about it. You know what <laughs> I mean? Uh, so similarly with this, there's just going to be like, oh, I didn't enjoy that Jason Statham vehicle about India. Uh, and <laughs> his, uh, The Rock was really weird. Like, why was The Rock in it? And I'll just be like, oh, yeah, that was, uh, oh, yeah, I saw that one. Oh, I didn't think much of it either. Like, yeah. So no one need know. So uh, let me just get this just straight then. So is so is Jason Statham, although he's playing you in the biopic and your character's mm-hmm. name is Ahir Shah, are you going to say it's No, 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 he's Ah-? still called Jonas Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sequel to The Meg. <laughs> what, so... what don't you understand about this? Like... <laughs> I, I, this is, this is fast. This is brilliant. So you, you're, you are, you are, <laughs> this is your, this is your film 
pseudonym. This is like this is yeah. basically you, and and you're it's Jonas Taylor. I'm air gapped from this story. <laughs> that is what what a way to live. And of course, you'll still do do all right off the box office, but you don't have to live with the the dislike from the critics or the audiences. You can just coin it in hmm. and, and go on your way, live a merry life. That's a, that's that's the plan. How, how does how do critics normally affect you though? I mean, if you were Ahir Shah play Jason Statham playing Ahir Shah or any other in any other way, how do do critics ever affect you? Are you bothered by them? Yes and no. Like it, it depends on what the thing is, really. Like uh, certainly when I made the show, which it, it ended up doing very well, and I was very grateful for that. But also, like I put a lot of work and a lot of self into into it, and so, for example, by the time the Fringe was over, it got you know happily a bunch of five star reviews and nominated for the award and whatnot. Um, but the first review. Uh, was a sort of relatively lukewarm three stars and that, it was the only one of that kind right um, but because that was the first one that that did knock me for six a bit that day perfectly entitled to the opinion or not uh, thinking but just because you feel like when you put so much of yourself into something yeah um, like it would have felt better if they were like this is bad than this is fine do you know what I mean <laughs> right um to, to that extent, yes, it would affect, but I'm saved by the fact that I'm Jonas Taylor in this. <laughs> now, it's it's the big night. The Meg 2, the trench has been made. Revolutionary storytelling, I think, within it in terms of how it tells of time differences and moves around and the story which it tells, of course. The meeting about the film originally takes place in as a yet unknown London location, which is only becomes apparent when you suddenly have your financial blinkers lifted and the kind of the force field of, of wealth suddenly becomes visible and you can walk into somewhere. So with that in mind, where's the premiere of the Meg to the Trench taking place? Cineworld Wembley. <laughs> Cineworld why, Wembley, why? because it's easy for my parents to get to... <laughs> Because otherwise, uh, my mum would be like, "Oh, I don't want to get the tube." And it's like, "Oh, don't come on, we're going to go to the like, you'll, you'll like it." And she likes the cinema world in Wembley uh, right. and everything, you know. And this as a as a thing that's uh, we're, we're making this for my family, so we should make it as easy as possible uh, for them to get to. That's Wembley's not too difficult to get to from Heathrow, so the Rock <laughs> and Statham, wherever they're coming from, they'll find it very nice and simple. You know, it's a, this is a a big premiere. Of, it is, and there's some a list Hollywood stars in this. Yeah. So bring some money to the local area. That's always yeah. good. Like Leicester Square doesn't need that whole thing. And uh, yeah, then afterwards we go Nando's. Oh. Does, the, does the red carpet go down? You know, the, there's the red carpet outside Cineworld Wembley. Does the red carpet go along where all the press and everything are into the cinema and then out another door? Down the road, down to Nando's. Is it, is it... <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're very near one another. There's a there's a whole complex now. <laughs> so they're all. It could literally just they could just carry on the red carpet to Nando's. Yeah. Done. And that's the like that's the element of it that I find like the idea of this that I find the most unbelievably swish is like yeah I've I've been in comedy for a while. I've got um, friends who've been in very fancy films and what have you. That part doesn't really surprise me anymore. The idea that we could book a whole Nando's <laughs> is mental, right? I'd be so up for that bit. That would be my main bit. Is that that is that is that really like a major part of the budget? You're sort of talking about like at the very beginning, like, okay, we've got the Rock's arms, we've got Statham. How much do we need to have aside for hiring Nando's out 
that's out that we can't touch that's ring fenced yeah yeah but i reckon if you gamed the loyalty card in the right way then uh you'd be able to make quite substantial cost savings on that yes very smart god and that's it you got to be smart in this game you got to be thinking about where to make money and where to save money yeah it's like uh do you know about uh Blumhouse, the production company um, i do you gotta, uh, go on yeah well, it, it always fascinated me the like way that they approach the financing of films uh, and the fact that it's like, no, I don't care if you want 50 million and $1,000. I have given you $50 million. That's it. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, or it wouldn't even be 50 million. It would be I don't care if you want 5 million and $1,000, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Keep it tight. The failures are relatively small failures. The successes are huge, big time, crazy return on investment uh, successes. And the way that you achieve that is by doing things like keeping it at Wembley Nando's and not, oh, and then we're all going to fly over to Noma. No, this is, what are you talking about? And you're not going to have a nicer time. I love the idea. You know, you know, in offices, they sometimes have those motivational slogans that the, 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 the founder came up with. And it, the yeah. produ your production company is keep it Wembley Nando's. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a good philosophy, I think. Like the thing, I, I once uh, went for dinner at a very, very fancy restaurant with, with, with a friend and he, he took me uh, because he was he was supposed to be going with his wife, but his wife wasn't able to go that evening. And so it was very nice of him. He was just like, oh, come, come to this restaurant instead because we've got to go. I'll lose the money otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a brilliant meal. One of the best meals that I'd had in my entire life. I didn't tell him this, but as I left the place, I was thinking I could smash a Nando's. Like, <laughs> it, right now because it's like this was an extraordinary experience but like some of it was just foam right like, i don't know like there's no like calorific intensity to yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah yeah and everything i appreciate the theater of it and the art of it all but i want berry chips now i don't I, even I eat love... meat <laughs> i don't at the end of the meal they say oh sir would you would you like a uh would you like a brandy or a, a whiskey uh just some peri peri chips, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be great. So you mentioned already that coming to the premiere to make it easy for your parents. You're having the premiere at Wembley Cineworld because it's easy for your parents. Do you, do you uh, want celebs there, or do you just want family and those who work so hard no, on the I mega mean, two? The thing is, look, when you've got the rock, you don't need anyone else. That's the that's the fundamental truth of the matter. This is the biggest film star on the planet. You know, yeah. It's a. Uh, I don't need to be like. Oh, uh, who's going to be there? The Rock. Who else? I'm sorry. <laughs> Was that not good enough for you? The actual... Yeah, Dwayne, The Rock, Johnson will be there. <laughs> I'd go. <laughs> oh, I, I, I suppose you're too good for The Rock now. I, it's a, I mean, it is true. He's the flame to which all are drawn he i'm not i'm not saying people are moths but i suppose i am by accidentally but he's you know he is that kind of star isn't he? he's he's invited right and he's coming family are coming who isn't invited and why aren't they invited i don't know so we have a a real thing about not inviting people that i've i think internalized from indian culture but for example when my sister was getting married now seven eight years ago must have been my mum was like, oh, this is the list of people you need to invite. There was not enough room for these people, like, at the wedding. Bear in mind. All, all live in India. Most of them, my sister had never met in her life. Right. Uh, and so she's like, and who is this? Uh, she's like, oh, this is our neighbour from growing up. And like, what? Have I ever met them? No, no, you haven't. But you have to say, bear in mind, wedding invitations, not cheap things. 
Uh, right. So sending out air mailing loads of wedding invitations to people you don't know. Oh, what? And then if they come, they fly all the way from India. And then that's another person there. You know, this is going to add up pretty quickly. And my mother's like, no, 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 you don't. They're not going to (laughs) come. It's like, what? (laughs) No, the trick is what you do. And this happens to us all the time is that you mail the invitations like the day before the wedding. So there's literally no chance that it would arrive in India before the event itself has taken up. But it's basically a way of letting them know that this has happened. Like we will occasionally get things in the post, which is like, you're invited to this wedding in Ahmedabad that was last week. Uh, and, so my, and my sister was basically saying, so what you'd like me to do is set fire to loads of money for no reason <laughs> for, so that people I've never met who you don't even like that much are aware that my wedding took place in the past. And my mother's like, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what I want. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that's an insane thing to want to do. But so that's, that's, how, that's how I do it. I just, uh, anyone who I didn't actually want to come, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would mail them the invitation on the day. <laughs> Oh, I guess I got lost in the post. Oh, that's a shame. That is extraordinary. Incredible etiquette. And it's not even like these people would have been kicking themselves like, oh, if we'd only known, then we'd have made plans. They don't care either. Oh, my God. That is... That is amazing, and I and I do I I really respect that, and I also really respect your premiere sending out invitations by post on the day to people you don't want to <laughs> yeah. come. I think I think that is terrific. We've got it, the Meg Two, the Trench, telling yeah. a very personal story about family loss and about politics, starring Jason Statham throughout your entire lifespan, starting as a baby, and of course. The Rock's arm starring as well, mm. while he crouches behind people playing your parents and holding Jason Statham with his own arms. We never actually see The Rock, we just see his arms. And it'll be seen at Cineworld Wembley. It's it's an extraordinary achievement. Ahir Shah, congratulations on being greenlit. Thank you very much, pleasure. <laughs> 